Well, this is Pentecost Sunday, as we've already said. So uh, we have heard a portion of that uh, Pentecost scripture as uh, it was told to us in the children's sermon, but let's revisit that in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, and there were there God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? The first four verses of Acts chapter two describe the sound of a mighty wind and the supernatural communication occurring when these followers of Jesus began to speak to the crowd in languages each of the hearers understood in his own native language. The amazement of the crowd is described in verses 5 to 12, which concludes with a question that will serve as a springboard to this morning's message. They asked, what does this mean? Today we celebrate the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. But what does this mean? What I hope to do this morning is tie together the celebration of Pentecost with Kristen's sermon series of the last several weeks, the theme of which you will recall was Suddenly I See. As Tom read for us a few moments ago, as the scene in Jericho opens, Jesus and his disciples are passing through. Jericho is not their destination. Jerusalem is, and in Jerusalem, Jesus knows there awaits for him a cross 
and a tomb. We might suppose that the shadow of the cross looming before him would be so great as to obliterate all else in front of him. Yet something miraculous happens as they are passing through Jericho. Above the shouts of the crowd, Jesus hears the cries of a blind beggar whom we know as Bartimaeus. For a moment, let's consider him. He was blind. And being blind and lacking any kind of social safety net, he resorted to his only option in providing a livelihood for himself. He began to beg. But even more to the point, even today, parents, of course, choose names for their children very carefully, don't we? Uh, they buy books with baby names and an explanation of what these names mean. They go to great lengths to name their children something appropriate. Well, it was even more so in the time and biblical times, because they attempted also to bring into the, the naming of their child some religious significance. But this man, Bartimaeus, apparently his, his parents looked at their child who from birth was apparently, obviously blind, and they wondered what would become of him. They did not even seek to hope for him and therefore didn't even name him because Bar Timaeus simply means son of Timaeus. All through his life, he was simply called son of Timaeus, lacking a name. This blind beggar confronted his future. Day after dreary day, he took his place in the forum of Jericho. In that day, Jericho had two parts, the traditional historic part and a more modern part that was built up in consequence of Herod building his winter palace just to the west of there. And Bartimaeus, sitting apparently between these two parts of Jericho, depended upon the generosity of passers-by for a livelihood. This man had ceased to hope long ago. Every day was exactly like every other day. But this day was different. Even a blind man could not miss the huge crowd that had assembled. 
the noise of shouts and laughter, the tramping of hundreds of feet, the noise of the animals passing by, and the boiling of dust, all told Bartimaeus, though he could not see it, that something significant was happening. Without doubt, he began to ask people around him, what's going on? And hearing that it was Jesus. And when he made the connection that Jesus was a healer from Nazareth, we do not know. Perhaps he had heard of Jesus long before. Or perhaps someone said to him at that moment, he's a healer from Nazareth. But upon hearing that, and somehow connecting a messianic relationship here, Bartimaeus began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over he cried out the same request, so much so that the people around him must have become wearied with hearing it, and they said, be quiet, hush. But the Bible says that Bartimaeus cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And at this point, the first of several miraculous events occurred. When in spite of Jesus' own preoccupation with the cross before him, heard through the commotion of the crowd the cry of one little blind beggar man on the periphery of the crowd. And Jesus stopped. And when Jesus, the center of attention, stopped, the whole crowd stopped. And Jesus, looking toward the sound of the voice which he had heard, said, call him. And those who had beforehand been telling him to be quiet now said, on your feet, he's calling you. Call him. We pause here just long enough to observe that we sometimes assume that our prayerful petitions go unheard by the Almighty. But the ears of the heavenly host, the heavenly Father, are ever attuned to the cries of the hopeless and the needy, of those on the periphery, those whose hearts are broken, whether in Jericho or Buffalo. He hears the cries of parents in Uvalde, whose pleas extend not just to the courts of heaven, but to the halls of Congress as well. But returning to Jericho, those who moments before had urged him to be silent now help him to his feet. And on this Pentecost Sunday. How can we not observe that Jesus calls not just Bartimaeus, but he calls us as well? You remember his words, don't you? 
We heard them last week in Christian's sermon. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Get up! He's calling you. There are many in our global church. And remember, the global church is merely the collection of all the local churches. But in these churches, there are so many who have grown accustomed to being what I call pew potatoes. They, they depend on others to hear the call. Research con continues to validate what is called a 2080 principle. 20% of the people do 80% of the work, while another 30% of the people do the other 20% of the work, and 50% of the people have no responsibilities. The last time I tested this in a congregation, this 2080 principle also held in the matter of giving to the church. 20% of the people give 80% of the receipts. Now, I say this not, not to try to instill guilt on any of the 50% or the 30%, Far from it. What I'm simply saying is that the Holy Spirit calls us collectively, each individually and all together, to exercise our gifts, to use our gifts in ministry. And every one of us is called to this ministry task. And every one of us is gifted to do something to benefit the church and the kingdom of God. And I appeal to the 50% to come in the awareness that in doing so, they find fulfillment and meaning. I don't want anyone to feel guilty, but I want everyone to feel the fulfillment that comes in being connected through the Holy Spirit with the calling of Christ. The truth of Pentecost is this. We are all called, but we are also all empowered. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is the what and Pentecost's Holy Spirit is the how. Bartimaeus rose to his feet, perhaps with the help of those around him. Then Mark tells us something seemingly insignificant. So much so that Luke doesn't even mention it in his account of Bartimaeus. Mark tells us that Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside and rose to his feet and went to Jesus. I've wondered about this. 
I mean, how many cloaks do you suppose a blind beggar has in his closet? Not many. Why would he throw one aside? Well, it's been suggested that maybe it was filthy. Or maybe it was ragged, so ragged that he was ashamed to wear it in Jesus' presence. I've wondered why he would throw his cloak aside, and I've also wondered why Mark, in the shortest of the four Gospels, would decide this was something that needed to be included in the story. As I've thought about it, I've wondered if someone didn't have a hold of that cloak, holding him back, keeping him from responding to Jesus' call. The question begs to be asked then, what's holding us back? When Jesus calls us to arise and follow, what holds us back? What do we need to leave behind, to let go of? As my faith has matured, and I'm sure you can all identify with this, but as my faith has matured, I have become aware that some of the attitudes and presuppositions and prejudices of my past, things that were a part of my past and with which I was altogether too comfortable, needed to be left behind. Bartimaeus made his way to Jesus only to hear a question that must have seemed somewhat frivolous to him. Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Don't you think that would be rather obvious? What do you want me to do for you? Supposing Jesus asked this question of us this morning, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? Bartimaeus didn't hesitate. He knew exactly what he wanted. Lord, I want to see. And this is the point at which Pentecost and suddenly I see converge. As the Holy Spirit fills and empowers the believer, we who are Christ's present-day disciples wish to see with spiritual clarity, with the vision of Christ. The Spirit who indwells us causes us to want to see the world and its many occupants as Jesus sees them as we live our lives pursuing our goals, as Christ followers, are we hearing the shouts of the hopeless, those caught in the snare of poverty, 
those who live on the periphery of respectable society? Are we hearing the voices of those crying out in pain, praying that something or someone will bring relief to the ache in their souls? Both Mark's Gospel and Luke's tell us that after receiving his sight, Bartimaeus followed Jesus in the way. Can you imagine all of the things that he imagined seeing? Sitting day after day in his beggar place, day after day wondering what his city looked like, what his mother's face looked like, what the street he had walked down every day of his life looked like, but setting all of these imaginings and desires aside, the moment he received his sight, he chose not to see those sights, but to follow Jesus. Luke continues the Jericho narrative, moving from Bartimaeus in chapter 18 of his gospel into chapter 19, where Jesus on the same street of the city discovers another needy individual, a rich man up a tree. His name was Zacchaeus. So seeing as Jesus sees, being moved by the Spirit does not limit us to seeing only one kind of person or one class of people. Like Jesus, we are concerned for the poverty-stricken who are trapped in their poverty. But we are also concerned about those who are stuck, though they may be rich, stuck in experiencing the consequences of their own bad behavior. We call that sin. The Holy Spirit, whose presence was announced in a mighty way on that Pentecost Sunday, this same Holy Spirit infuses us with spiritual gifts and empowers us with divine enablings that we might hear the call, answer the call, and have what is needed to fulfill the call. These divine enablings enable us to see with spiritual vision and be Christ's hands and feet in our broken world. Those who were amazed by that first demonstration of the Spirit's power ask, what does this mean? We ask it ourselves. What does this mean? It means that Christ has called us to make the difference. And Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? 
Lord, I want to see as you see and to be an agent of bringing spiritual health to a sick world through your body, the church.